So last Sunday, I preached, started, this is church part one. And um, it's kind of like the aim of this is to introduce us and to move us into the... Um, the series that, that Andrew set out for us that I believe is going to be pivotal. It's like for us as Josh Jane, it's going to be one of those moments that you don't want to miss. That we're going to speak back to like a year, two years from now. Because these were moments that were significant and where God did, did significant things. And um, one of and the thing that I spoke about was the slogan that we have of dying to live. And dying to live is this slogan that's on our things, and it's something that we say, and it's something of a Christian kind of, what's that word, uh, 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 a Christianism. It's like a lingo, it's, and we say it so quickly and so easily without thinking about it, and without even digging into what it really means. And then when we start doing that, we end up using it for the wrong way, and we end up hearing it in the wrong way. And that's when we get to that place of saying dying to live is like this hammer. It's like this weight that tells you, you just now got to die to yourself, and you've got to suffer, and you've got to grovel, and you've got to be verimboli, so that you can just, that's the place. But it's not actually God's heart. Dying to live is this place of where we see Jesus and we recognize him for who he is. And because we see him for who he is, there is nothing in me or with me that is worth more than him. And so anything and everything that keeps me away from him, that makes it a struggle for me to connect with him, that makes it a struggle for me to obey him, all of those things I take off. And I get rid of it, and I cut it off, and I deny it. I deny those things, because I don't want to get myself at the end of the day. I want to have Jesus. I mean, and so dying to live is that. And then this morning, I want to go into part two. Part two is going to be this. We've got this statement that you would read on a lot of our social media and even the way we speak to one another. And it's this, love God, love people. Who has never heard that in their life? Okay, two people. Okay, that's good. Well done. Thanks for your honesty. Okay, now you've heard it. But for most of us, we've got this idea and we kind of dish it out like Oprah dishes out cause, you know. You get one, you get one. Love God, love people. And we just... And this morning, I want to bring us to what that actually means. Um, and so as we come into this, I want to say this. This is like a, kind of like a disclaimer, and you've heard me say this before. When we speak about this is church and the things that we're preaching here, and even this morning, we're not giving you physical, natural do's and don'ts. No, we, we, we are speaking to you spiritual realities. Things that come from with Scripture and from in the Spirit of God that He births in us. Things that He calls us to as His church. And now we can't do this in the natural, in the physical. We need Jesus to do it. And so I've, I had this statement a couple of weeks ago, and I want to read it again to us. These are spiritual realities that you and I should receive as spiritual importation. Okay? 
So it's like the Holy Spirit speaking to us. The Holy Spirit has to impart it and bring revelation and bring understanding that's going to go into action. And it's to be lived out with spiritual intentions, with faith. Faith that we believe these things are true. It's what is in God's heart. It's what His Bible says to us. Through the spiritual empowerment, the Holy Spirit, the grace from God that comes with spiritual revelation given by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're not just saying, this is what church needs to look like. And so now you need to go and, you know, start to put yourself into that box. No. It's like you need to have faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, that we need to walk how he's calling us to walk. Does that make sense to us? And so when you hear me this morning, think of it like that. Think of it as spiritual realities. And in that... The reality is this, everyone, including me, we're all on this journey of growing into these spiritual realities. Not one of us are perfect. Not one of us can say, you know what, Rian, I really understand. I promise you, there's somewhere I can show you probably that you don't understand. And so for all of us, we need to realize that this is, none of us are excluded here. If you were perfect, you would be with Jesus. Amen? So, you're still here. So, I'm sorry to break the news. Okay. The reason why I say it's spiritual is because God is spirit. God is spirit. And we as his people, just even this morning, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, as much as we can jump... One jumping high and another just lifting up his hands doesn't mean that the one that jumped higher is now all of a sudden more spiritual or more. No, no, no. That's not how God looks at it. God looks at our hearts. And God knows exactly what it means for the one. For Bobby to jump high, that's going to be Bobby. Because Bobby is extravagant. He's loud in a good way. And we love that about him. But for someone else, like myself, I'm going to use as an example. Like for me, it's going to be a different thing to be as loud as that. But I need to do everything that God is placing on me. And Bobby needs to do everything that God is placing on him. And we don't look at one another and go, that one is better, this one is worse, that one is more spiritual, this one is not. No, 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 no. Because that's not how God looks at it. And so again, these are spiritual realities. Amen? So, last disclaimer. (laughs) We need to realize that God loves his church. He loves his church, and that is us. And in scripture, we see he calls the church his bride. And in some sense, God the Father is the father of the bride, preparing the bride for the bridegroom. And so when we deal with the church, we've got to be very careful that we don't just judge a church that God is not, or judge the bride that God is not judging. Amen? Or just somewhere easily, like, like, this is my opinion. And I think it's important, because for you and for me, even as I'm standing here this morning, I'm very aware that this is not my bride. It's God's. And so if I speak to you in a way 
that is not respectful and just judge you, God is going to deal with me. And I don't, I don't want him to deal with me in that way. And so when we deal with one another, we've got to realize this is God's bride. And so we've got to treat his bride that he paid for, that he gave his son to, to die for, to one day marry on that day when Jesus comes back. We've got to treat her with respect. Amen? And so when we hear things of maybe we're not doing this right or maybe we're not doing that right, it's not a right and a wrong. It's we're all on this journey, and this journey that we're on is so that we can look like Jesus. It's so that we can be prepared. There is no bride that wakes up the morning of her wedding ready. <laughs> no. It's usually like, here is this, anxious. It's like, who cried all night long because you're scared of what's going on, and this is, it's all overwhelming. And so there's people around them to help make the bride look good and beautiful. Sherilene looked very beautiful yesterday. But it was people that helped her. She didn't wake up like that. Sorry, Tristan found out this morning. <laughs> she didn't wake up like that. No, no. And in the same way for us, We've got to realize we are in this, we're in this journey of being made beautiful. And so when we speak about these things, we're saying it in a way of saying like, hey guys, God has got more for us. So let's give ourselves to it because he's in the process of making us beautiful. Amen. So let me dig into scripture. Matthew 22, Brett already read it. Jesus speaks, and he's asked about what is the most important um, commandment. And so, we're going to read. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so Jesus gets asked, like, what is the most important thing? And they're trying to catch Jesus out. And Brett's thing this morning, like the, the Hebrews actually twice a day would repeat this commandment, the first part of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind. It's like it's something that they did every single day. And so they knew it. But what the aim of the people was trying to ask Jesus, they were trying, because they were always debating about what commandments is more important and what are less important. So to try and wiggle and waggle their way through. Like what things do I really need to take care of and what things do I do not, do not need to? And so when they were asking Jesus, they were trying to get Jesus to really just fall into that trap. And here Jesus comes and he speaks to them. He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, might. And then another one like it to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And the law basically was all of the Old Testament. And then now the demands of the prophets 
And that is the promises and the, the prophecies and the things that they were saying, like Jesus is still coming. This is what Jesus is wanting, the Messiah. They didn't call him Jesus. They call him the Messiah, the, the Christ. This is what he's. And so Jesus comes and says, all those things, everything that you've heard about me and from me, it's taken up in these two things. Love God with everything in you and love your neighbor. And so we come and we actually see, okay, whoa, that's serious. And that's where we are this morning. Because we say it, love God, love people. Now, where does love come from? I'm going to quickly read us. 1 John 4 verse 9. God showed us how much he loved us. By sending his only son, one and only son, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we have loved, but that God has loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Love comes from God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Yesterday when I married um, and did the wedding with them, I, uh, there's this joke of, like, actually, the way people look at love is this typical Song of Solomon's kind of scripture of, oh, put your head on my bosom and your lips are like honey. And it's like this really, like, Hollywood hot pink love of just everything is unicorns, butterflies, and we're just like... <laughs> that's often what we think is love. And because that's our perspective of what love is, we tend to want it for ourselves. Because we think that if somebody loves me, then I will feel important. Then I'm loved. And we kind of make that the most important thing. But when you look at the scripture, you see that love is not actually something that you receive. It's something that you give. It's something that you show. And so for you and for me, we've got to realize that there's a different way that we actually have to go about it. If we're going to fall into the world's way of thinking of love, we're probably going to find ourselves, even in our relationship with God, always feeling like God is not loving us enough. So if, I'm not going to ask us to put our hands up, but I'm pretty sure if I ask us here this morning of who feels that God loves you enough or feel like maybe God, can you maybe pay attention to me? There's going to be some of us here this morning that really is actually, Rian, you know what? I'm kind of like feeling like that. But it's because our perspective of love is completely based on the wrong thing. See, love comes from God. When you go earlier in 1 John 4, it says that if you can't love the way God loves, you don't know God because love is from God. And it's kind of like saying what 1 plus 1 is 2, but 2 is 1 plus 1. <laughs> but it brings us to the space of going like, actually, do I know Him? 
Do I see Jesus for Jesus? Have I brought my life into a place of where actually I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior? Because unless I am in him, and unless his love is in me, I do not know love. Because love comes from him. God is love. He's the author of love. So I might have things that looks like love, and looks like affection. See, without Jesus, it is impossible to even love God. Do you hear that? Without Jesus, it's impossible to even love God. I remember so many times in my life where I had difficult situations and difficult family situations. And I would be in my room and just be all hopeless and know like, there's like I don't have anything that can fix this moment or anything that can fix what's going on around me. And I would sit on my bed and I would go like, okay, maybe if I open up my Bible and I read a piece of scripture, then God would see me. And then if I, I, I always hear this joke of, you know, you need to go down on your knees. Okay, cool. Let me go down on my knees and sit by my bed and pray. And just, God, would you come and just help me here? And it's like there was everything in me wanted God to come and help. But at the same time, nothing in me wanted to submit to God and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Accept Jesus as the life that I now live. I wanted him to fix my situation, but I didn't want him. And I know that for me, Sometimes that thing still creeps up because it's my nature. It's my sinful nature. But I know that for us, for some of us, we're sitting here. (laughs) We are in the same way. We want God to change our situation. And if he changes my situation, I will know that God loves me. But that scripture came and it says... God showed his love. He showed how much he loved us. He sent his only son into the world so that me and you can be with him and have eternal life with him. So now, we have this scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 that speaks about all that love is. You read it on Facebook and whatever social media, you'll always have some post with beautiful rivers and mountains and trees and butterflies. And then you have, love is patient and kind. I want to read it to us. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it records no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. 
Love never lose faith, loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. ESV says it like this. Love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, endures all things. And when we read the scripture, we look at everyone else around us and go, people, come on, be nice with me. <laughs> love me like this. Husbands, to your wives, wife, love me like this, right? But I want to kind of inject something else in there. If we read that again, and we're going to read it again, and I want you to maybe just for a moment, just to close your eyes. And we've spoken about Jesus that has given himself on the cross for me and for you. He's laid his life down so that we might be with him, that we can be reconciled back to him. So just, now if we think of what Jesus did on the cross, and we think of the life that he lived while being on earth, how he was treated, how he was mishandled, how he was sent to the cross, beaten, shamed, you actually see something of the scripture coming alive if you think of how he was treated and handled and how he reacted and responded to what people did to him. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And even though Jesus went and he received the harshest of treatment on the cross, what he was seeing and what he was living and exuding was love that is patient and kind. Love that is not boastful. Love that does not have its own way. Love that has faith. Love that never gives up. Love that endures even the harshest of treatments. And he went through all those things for me and for you so that we might know what is love and who is love and that who is love loves us in an even deeper way. When I look at that, I go like, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for how you love me. Because there is nothing like that. So this morning, as we hear, I want to ask us to keep our eyes closed. It's not out of habit, or but it's just something that we do. Usually at the end of the preach, we would say, hey, who wants to give their life to Jesus? But I really felt this morning in preparing I felt like the Lord said to me, Rian, 
we need to we need to ask right here. So I want to ask in a mo- like in this moment. If there's anyone here this morning and you have not experienced the love of God in that way or seen it that actually that he loves you and he's willing to bear and has bared every possible thing that might come. He's done it so that you might know him, so that you might find his love. This morning, I want to give to you the opportunity to say, okay, just reach out to him. Jesus says that all those who stretches out, who calls out to his name, will be saved. And this morning, in this moment, we can't love people or even love God unless we have Jesus as our Savior. And so if that's you here this morning, and you want to say, Rian, I I really want to give my life to him. I want to ask if you can respond to me. And the way you can respond is just for me to even just look you in the eyes. So if you can look up to me that I can see you, because I would love to pray with you. So I want to give one more chance. If you're here this morning and you want to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Okay, I'm not seeing anyone now. But I know this. God is working. So, love God. But then there's a second part of this, is love people. John 15 says this. I've told you these things, that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. So again, we see where love comes from, what it looks like, who it is, and how it plays out. And so for me and you here this morning, I mean, that statement of, I've told you this thing so that your joy will be filled and overflowing, that my joy will be in you. If you just even think this morning of when we all gave that shout Like just the amount of joy and the amount of freedom that came to your heart and your bones. There's something there that just goes like, wow, this is so liberating. And it's so fun. You can just feel how people, and it's not about fun. It's about this, this life here. And I believe a big part of it has got to do with the fact that we're doing it together. See, God's heart is for us to walk together and to love one another. So as we love him, 
What happens in us, and you've heard me speak about this, about the DNA of God that comes into us. It's like we take on his nature and his character. It's like as we love God and we have him being formed in us, we become, in some senses, we take on his character. We take on his DNA and we become like him in the way of how we look at people. Because God looked at us in a way and he saw that we were sinners. He saw that we couldn't save ourselves. So he came in and he made us part of his family. And as we see who God is and what he is like, we end up doing that same thing to other people. Not because it's who we are, but it's because of who God is and God is working in us. And so there's an overflow of that into the lives of the people around us. It's so often when you get like couples that's been married for a very long time that they often look like each other. <laughs> There's a likeness. All the couples looking at one another. I'm like, I'm the, you look like me. <laughs> But there's something, there's, there's, there's like a transference that happens between us. But also the same as with God. And so God calls us into this place of where we're meant to love one another. But it's not that thing of where Christians go like, cool, I'm going to love every unknown person I can find. And you'll be, you'll be very happy to love someone on the side of the street but then you come into your own house, or you come to church, where you, it's people that you see consistently, it becomes a little bit more difficult to then love. Do you agree with me? No, don't want to agree with me? See, that love of loving each other, it actually opens us up to a question. And the question is this. How much space is there for people to love you the wrong way and you love them back the right way? How much space is there for those around you to love you the wrong way and you respond to them the right way? When we look at Jesus what he's gone through, and we think of that 1 Corinthians 14, 13, 13, sorry. Jesus, we loved him, in a sense, treated him the wrong way. And his response to us was love the right way. Do you see that? His response to us was a love that still believes that we can be saved. It was still a love that, like, regardless of how you're going to treat me, spit on me, like, deny me, I'm going to love you. And he showed us his love. And so even for us, when we deal with one another, how much space is there for me to deal with you the wrong way or for you to deal with me the wrong way? And still we get to love one another the right way. Is that confusing? You guys getting it? So, 1 Corinthians 13 again. Love is patient and kind. So, every time, where's Rob? I didn't see him here this morning. Is he here? It's because he doesn't greet me again. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be kind to you, Rob. <laughs> Rob. 
Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. How many things are there even in us and in your community and the people that, that you just go like, you know, why can't they just do it my way? It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. I've got a whole, in a whole list of things that I've done wrong. I'm joking. It's not like that. No, it's like we don't keep record of wrong. When somebody hurt me, when somebody stepped on my toe by accident, or when somebody didn't greet me by accident, when, and even sometimes if they did it on purpose, our response is that of Jesus. Jesus wasn't by accident crucified. He was crucified, he was shamed, he was spat on very purposefully. But yet his reaction was to love. His reaction was to lay his life down. And Jesus calls me and you to that same way of life. See, when we look at all of the, the commandments that's gone before, it's always been that God would be our everything. And that his nature would work through us. And so the love God and love people or love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, might and your neighbor like you love yourself is actually something that you can take all of the commandments and you can draw them all through those two things. Because at the very heart, it will produce the same thing. Which is it's impossible to do if you don't have Jesus. But if you have him, you'll be able to do like he does. And that is what he calls us to. So when we say love God, love people, it's something where God is calling me and he's calling you. And he's saying, this is my church. This is my people. This is my children. And he wants to show the whole world who he is through us. And the world won't know who he is if we can't even find to love one another. See, to love a stranger, anyone can do that. But to love someone that's wronged you, it's only God that's enabled to do that. Only God that's enabled to, enables us to go beyond what's been done to us and love regardless. Let's close our eyes.